This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So we talk a lot about consumer proposals on the show, Blair, but I, I know that not everybody knows what it is, and this is such a good segment because it's going to explain in detail, if you don't know, if you're a new uh, listener to the show, what a consumer proposal is. And I, I love this, uh, the key part of it is you can cons- consolidate your your debt without a loan or interest costs. And it's, and it's pretty unique, um, and super powerful, uh, that, uh, license and solvency trustee Blair Manton is going to explain it all to us. Go ahead, Blair. Yeah, that's, that's right, Elaine. So this one, um, you know, I kind of consider a bit of a back to basics segment. So we've been doing the show for a long time, but as you said, we may have some listeners who've just joined us, you know, in the past, you know, weeks or months, and we've referenced consumer proposals a lot. Um, but let's spend some time today just really talking about what is a proposal, what are the steps, and what can it do for you. Um, and you know, just just to start off, and you gave a, a really good intro there, Elaine. And a consumer proposal, it's a means of consolidating your debt, but you don't have to borrow. So when a lot of people think about debt consolidation. They think about marching off to the bank and getting a loan to pay off all of their other debts and paying the bank back. And yeah, that's an option to consolidate for sure. But quite often people have difficulty qualifying for it, or maybe the debts are even so high they can't afford to pay off a consolidation loan in a reasonable period of time. So what a consumer proposal allows you to do, it allows you to settle your debts for less than you owe by making a deal with your creditors and consolidating your debts into one manageable, usually monthly, payment. So you don't have to resort to bankruptcy. This is the way you can reduce your debts, stop all the future interest, um, and allow yourself to move forward with a sense of comfort, and as we always say, you know, a sense of optimism and hope about the future of your finances. And I just want to throw in here, too, that it's really important if you don't know what a consumer proposal is, only a licensed insolvency trustee can facilitate that for you. This isn't something that some guy on the corner at a, you know, paycheck store or whatever can do for you. A licensed insolvency trustee is the only one because you, because you all are so, um, encompassed by the law and there's very specific ways of doing it. That's exactly right, Elaine. So, you know, first off, people don't need any referrals to go and see a licensed insolvency trustee. You don't need somebody to represent you. You know, if you start to Google consumer proposal, you might find a bunch of advisors who aren't trustees who are trying to sell consumer proposals. And all they're selling essentially is an introduction to a licensed insolvency trustee, which you can get for free. So your best bet is to come directly to a consumer proposal, or sorry, to, to a licensed insolvency trustee for a consumer proposal. And as you alluded to, Elaine, it's the most powerful debt option that's out there because it can cover everything from credit cards, bank overdrafts, payday loans, lines of credit, and even, and most people don't know this, but even government debts like your student loans and any debts to Canada Revenue Agency for taxes or maybe CERB overpayments or different things like that, which we know we're going to see a lot more of in the future. Um, And another great thing with a consumer proposal is it gives you protection. So it's the same protection as if you had filed the bankruptcy. So most people know, or they, at least they, they think they know, if you go into bankruptcy, you know, things have to stop against you. Any court actions, all those collection calls, wage seizures. Well, you get that same protection if you 
file a consumer proposal, but you haven't had to file a bankruptcy. Now, is there a specific amount of time that you have to have it done by, or how does that work? Yeah, a consumer proposal. So as we mentioned, it's usually a monthly payment, um, and the monthly payments can't extend beyond 60 months. So the maximum term of a consumer proposal is five years or 60 months, as I said, and you can pay it off sooner than that term, which is actually quite powerful. So, you know, if you do a consumer proposal now and say your payment is $150 a month, but next year you get a great job and you're able to double that payment to, to $300 a month, well, your proposal is going to be done in half the time as usual. You don't pay any penalty to get it done sooner. You just put things behind you more quickly. And that can be just so powerful when you think about, you know, if you're carrying a little bit of debt on a credit card, even something like $6,000 of debt can be 40 years of minimum payments. So a proposal by law can't be any longer than five years. And quite often it's quicker than that because people are able to pay it off more quickly than they anticipate. And just before we get to the steps of making one in this province, what's the parameters in terms of the size of debt? You know, it's pretty broad. Um, the proposal is eligible for anybody who owes at least $1,000, which, you know, is a pretty low bar these days, uh, with a maximum $250,000. So that encompasses, you know, just about, um, I won't say all, but most of the consumer debt situations that I see, it's been between, you know, 1000 to 250000 The most common is in the range of about twenty-five dollars to $50,000 of debt, whether it's credit cards, income taxes, student loans, or whatnot. Uh, you can still do a proposal if your debts are more than $250,000, but it's a different kind of proposal. It's not a consumer proposal anymore, and some different rules apply, which we won't go into today. Okay, fair enough. Um, and I just want to mention, too, before we go into the, the sort of the general steps that you can take, um, Sands & Associates, if any of this information is resonating with you and you think you want to take some action, uh, which I recommend you do if you're thinking about it, just even to find out a little bit more and talk to somebody, I'm going to give you the phone number. It's 1-800-660-3030. That's to set up an appointment uh, as well as find an office near you. Of course, we've always been saying that, but at this point, we're really setting up appointments and to do these meetings virtually. Is that right, Blair? Absolutely, yeah. So there's uh, since March of the pandemic, we've been helping more clients than ever with things over Zoom or over the telephone. We're signing documents electronically. Um, so we're still fully operational as an essential service. Okay, great. So let's talk about those steps then that it uh, takes to do a consumer proposal in this province. Yeah, you know, step one is probably the hardest one. That's to reach out. So step one is to connect with Sands and Associates to meet with one of our representatives, either myself or one of my colleagues, a licensed insolvency trustee or a qualified estate manager, uh, where we'll sit down and we'll do a free and confidential consultation. Uh, we want to sit down, we want to understand, I guess sit down virtually these days, uh, understand and assess your financial situation and discuss to you all of the options that are available um, to resolve your debt. So a proposal might be a great fit for someone that sits down with us uh, in one situation. Uh, another situation might not be so dire. We can just give them a little bit of budgetary coaching. Uh, maybe someone else, we need to, to coach someone, here's how you refinance a mortgage to deal with your debts. So we don't automatically default to a consumer proposal. We have to look at things like your income, your family size, uh, your objectives, and all other considerations just to make sure the proposal is going to be the right option. It's affordable and it's set up from success from the start.
Nice. And again, you don't need a referral to come and see you. And sitting down or, or virtually sitting down with you, uh, the consultation, the initial consultation, absolutely free of charge. And I love this part that it's without obligation. So if you sit down yes. and go, oh, no, this is not for me. I'm not. And you want to walk out literally at that point, you certainly can. Or you can come up with some other options, which I love the fact that you guys, you know, just give people a, a bunch of different ways of dealing with their situation because quite honestly everybody's situation is pretty unique right mm -hmm. well and that's what's so interesting about being a trustee is yeah there's no two two days that are the same because behind every death situation there's a family there's circumstances there's a bunch of things that have happened to get someone to this point so you know the consultation is free but it's also free of judgment you're not going to feel like a bad person because you're in debt you know all we do every day is help people that are in debt and we do it without any sort of judgment or making you feel bad we just want to help you um, you know achieve a better tomorrow so, yeah, it's no referral required. You just give us a call or visit us on the website. And, you know, we're even doing meetings same day quite a bit these days. Nice. So let's say we decide that, yeah, this is the best uh, uh, step forward. Do a consumer proposal. What do we do then? So the second thing, uh, after we've had that meeting, we'll get you to fill out um, some documents for us, give us some basic information, uh, and then we'll prepare your proposal. So once we understand who you owe money to and approximately how much, once we understand your monthly budget, what you can afford to pay back, and if you have any other assets we need to consider, uh, we'll prepare the official filing documents, and then we'll have an online meeting either over the telephone or over Zoom, uh, Microsoft Teams or whatever, uh, where you can sign the documents electronically. Uh, what happens from that day, and this can be as soon as, you know, literally a couple days after the initial consultation, if someone is pretty organized and give us the information right away, we can turn around documents very quickly. And as soon as you sign those documents, you're immediately protected. Your creditors are prohibited from charging you any further interest, and they're not allowed to contact you for any payments. Your trustee essentially steps in the middle between you and your creditors and enforces the ceasefire because what happens with a proposal, like any proposal in life, it can either be accepted or rejected. Now, 95% of the time, a consumer proposal that's made is accepted as it's filed. So it's a really high, high probability of success. But under the law, there's a 45-day voting period. So when someone sits down and signs those documents, that's day one of the 45-day voting period. And at the end of the 45-day voting period, the trustee uh, will phone you or send you a letter saying, you know what, the proposal's been approved as filed, and let's continue on and get you to make those payments. Um, what's great about a consumer proposal is we don't need unanimity of all of your debts to say yes. So if you might owe five people uh, a sum of money, and you know three of them really want to, to accept this proposal, but two of them don't, as long as those three people have a majority of your debt by dollar value, everybody is forced to abide by the terms of the consumer proposal. So you don't need to worry if one of your debts says, no way, no how, would I ever compromise on this debt? Well, as long as the majority of the creditors feel that they, that they do want to compromise, um, you're able to proceed with the consumer proposal and get it approved. Excellent. And, the, and, what, and then what, Blair? Well, once the proposal is approved, the next step is you fulfilling the terms. So once you've signed the proposal, you stop making any debt payments, um, and then you start making payments on the consumer proposal. And we're going to get through a couple examples, I hope, if we have time, but the payments are significantly lower. So generally, people are in a much better financial situation because they're paying a whole lot less per month on the proposal than they were paying on their debts. They keep control of all of their assets. They do their taxes normally. The only thing they have to do other than make that proposal payment is to attend two financial counseling sessions, which people get huge value out of these financial counseling sessions. They talk to you about credit rebuilding, about life after the proposal, how you move forward with great financial habits, trying to make it a one-time only thing uh, that you have to do a proposal. 
Okay, well, let's, in the last minute and a half that we've got, let's go to those examples, Blair, that you alluded to. Yeah, thrilled to do so. So these are all very recent examples for us. Um, so one that we've worked with recently was someone with about $41,000 of consumer debt. So right, uh, kind of in the most common band of debt that we see. Uh, and we were able to settle that for $350 a month um, over 60 months. So they were paying back $21,000 with no interest, inclusive of all charges, no extra fees to the trustee ever. Um, so they came in owing $41,000 plus interest. They walked out uh, owing $21,000, no interest, and a payment of three fifty a month that goes away after five years or sooner if they can pay a little bit more. Wow, that's quite something. Mm-hmm. Oh, it even gets better, Elaine. I've got, I've got one with a bigger reduction, too. A couple here. Okay, okay good. Can I do one more? Yeah, please do. Okay, so this is a self-employed individual, and he had debts around 43000 This included tax debt, which is quite often common for a self-employed person. We filed a proposal that got it down to $13,800 total, so reducing it by nearly 70% monthly payments of just $230 a month, so completely life-changing for this person. Completely life-changing. So if this is resonating with you and you want to take some action and you want to sit down with somebody uh, to see if your situation fits a consumer proposal, this is the number again. It's 1-800-661-3030 to get an appointment with someone from Sands & Associates as well as to find an office near you. They're literally located all over British Columbia. You're listening to Dollars & Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates helping you get out of debt. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. This is a great segment. Um, If you or someone you know uh, really wants to figure out next steps, consultations and considerations, what you can expect when you go and sit down virtually these days uh, with Blair or someone from the uh, Sands and Associates offices, which are located all over British Columbia, sit down and talk about uh, first steps in dealing with your with your debt. Uh, and no, I know, Blair, that people, that's a big deal to take that first step and, and often super nervous about the actual process. I think this is a wonderful segment that, that you're going to just go through uh, each piece of the process for folks. Yeah, exactly, Elaine. The, the big challenge that I have um, in, in my uh, professional life here is not that I can't help individuals, it's just I wish that I could help them sooner, that they didn't suffer for so long. The average person, it's about two years, and they tell me this you know, again and again, about two years from when you know maybe they heard about Sands and Associates, felt that they needed the help, but they were just so scared to reach out. And it's generally fear of the unknown. It's a fear that they're going to be judged. Maybe there's going to be no solution to their problem. It's going to take a bunch of money or you know, be a very intrusive process to get going. Uh, so I'm really happy to Today we can put a few of those um, those worries to rest, and if this can just help even just one person, um, you know, pick up the phone or go online and reach out and get that consultation maybe sooner than they would have otherwise. Well, and that's a big success. That's going to ease some suffering for at least one person. And I think that really speaks to who you are uh, in terms of why you became a licensed insolvency trustee. That um, that wonderful opportunity that you get to create each time you sit down with somebody to help them figure out their their debt solution. And 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 with that, only a licensed insolvency trustee can do this work. Even though it sounds like there's lots of people out there that can, really only the licensed insolvency trustees can. 
yeah, there's only a thousand trustees in Canada. It's not easy to, to become qualified as a trustee because there's a lot of things that you need to know. Um, but what I sometimes say, you know, if I'm t- meeting somebody and they say, oh, you're a bankruptcy trustee or an insolvency trustee, that must be depressing. I say it's the complete opposite. You know, I spend my days um, giving people better news than they thought they would be able to get, giving people a plan for how they can make tomorrow so much different than yesterday, have a, have a future they're going to look towards with hope. And it all starts with that first meeting when they come in and sit down. And I think let's just throw in the fact that I don't need a referral to come and see you. That's right, Elaine. So, um, you know, you could, if you wanted to, you can, you know, call a lawyer and say, well, what trustee would they recommend? You know, hopefully most would say hands and associates. But, you know, the vast high 90-something percent of our clients, they just reach out to us directly. They either give us a call, uh, they go online and book a consultation that way. And it costs you nothing. You don't need to have a referral from anybody, whether it's an accountant, a lawyer, an advisor, or anything like that. A trustee is well-equipped to deal with you, um, you know, just right from the start without any middle person in between there. And right now, the only way you're seeing people, so to speak, is virtually. Is that right? Yeah. So since the pandemic hit, obviously, we want to preserve everybody's health and safety. The government's designated us as an essential service and given us permission to do everything online. So from document signing uh, to having first consultations either over the telephone, Zoom, Microsoft Teams or Skype, uh, you know, we're well equipped to meet folks however it works for them. You know, on the odd case, you know, we'll, we'll have someone in the office. Everyone's masked up and behind barriers. But for the most part, we're doing things quite remotely these days and people are quite happy with that. Okay, where do you start with somebody uh, when you're meeting them for the first time? You know, the first step often is to get people to relax a little bit and know what they're not coming for. They're not coming here to be judged. Uh, they're not coming here to be looked down upon. We know that anybody could be in a tough financial situation. It doesn't have to define them. So we're going to sit down in that consultation. We're going to start by understanding your objectives and what brought you in. So our goal is just to help in any way that we can. If that includes one of our remedies, great. Um, if it doesn't, well, then you know we'll try to refer you to wherever you can get the help that you need. But we'll ask, you know, is there a specific issue that brought you in today? Maybe Maybe your wages are being garnished. Maybe there's collection calls that, you know, are keeping you up in the middle of the night and, you know, you just don't know what to do. Or are there any financial goals that you want to seek? You know, maybe you're paying all your minimums, but you just know you're not going to get out of debt um, in any reasonable point of time. So it starts with your objectives. Uh, and then we move on to assessing your situation. So knowing what you want to achieve, and maybe it's making the pain stop, for example, we say, okay, well, let's figure out, you know, what we can do to help. So we'll ask you some basic questions about who do you owe money to and approximately how much. You know, it's not important to know down to the penny, but down to a few thousand dollars. That's helpful because that can basically give us an idea of what solutions are available to you. We want to understand your monthly budget. So what income comes in the door? How reliable is it? Uh, Are you self-employed where it's up and down each month or do you get the same paycheck? It's been that way for years and years and you can count on it. Uh, You know, what's the family situation? Who's living at home? Um, Are there people you're supporting in or out of the household? Is there requirements for child support or alimony? Uh, And then the last key item is, what are the assets that you own? Um, So, you know, do you have a house with tons of equity? Most of our clients don't. Most of the time, people are either renting or if they have a house, it's mortgaged almost completely where there's very little equity there. So that's not an option to draw on extra funds. So we want to understand your assets, your liabilities, the family situation, um, and then your objectives on how you like to move forward. And it's not like when you when you have that first consultation and and you and you look at everything and go, okay, this is your situation. This is what we're going to do. There's options. It's not just filing for bankruptcy or doing a consumer proposal that you offer. That's right, Elaine. So, you know, by law, a trustee is required to be completely agnostic about this situation or the solution that you choose to 
to follow, but we have to give you all the information. So there's typically seven things you can do if you owe somebody money. You know, everything from taking no action. That might sound a little bit funny, but sometimes if someone comes into us, let's say they're, you know, 82 years old, for example, I had someone like this just last month, uh, they owe a little bit of money and yeah, they could file a bankruptcy. Or what they were really worried about is, can these people sue me? Can they start to take my pension? And I'm having a tough enough time making ends meet. And I was able to say to the gentleman, well, you know, you only owe a few thousand dollars. The odds of the, your creditors investing, you know, more than what you owe in a lawyer to take you to court and then trying to convince the judge to sue you for your wages or for your pension each month, that's probably not going to happen. So in that situation, we gave just some free advice. We said, you know, here's how you can stop the collection calls by sending a letter. Uh, here are the options that are available for you if you choose. But if we were in your shoes, you know, maybe just doing nothing is an attractive situation at this point because your credit rating might not be that much of a concern. So, you know, we'll look at that as an option for a lot of folks that we meet. Um, you know, they really want to have good credit again in the future. They really want to make, um, you know, a fair deal on their debts and pay back what they can afford. And in those options, we can look at what's called a consumer proposal. And anybody that listens to us regularly is going to know how powerful a consumer proposal is, how it can reduce your debts, give you breathing room, save you all of the interest. Um, so we'll talk to you about a proposal. And we'll also obviously inform you about if you chose to file for personal bankruptcy, you know, what does that look like? How quickly is the process going to go? What are the positive and negative impacts of it? And then it's going to go to fall to you to make a good decision. So, you know, we're often asked, well, you know, what should I do? And, you know, I, I say, well, I'm, I'm the trustee and independent officer of the court. I can't tell you what to do. That's not my role. But I can definitely tell you, here's what I would consider. And, you know, I would consider, you know, what age am I at? What stage in life? What are my future plans? And what can I afford to do? And all of those criteria are going to help somebody make a decision on the debt remedy that they're going to feel most comfortable moving forward with. Now, there's a lot of information that we could cover in this segment, the ins and outs of it all and the various options. But I, I want to go back to how we started in this last minute or so that we've got, is that you must hear every day from people who are anxious or nervous about getting some kind of advice. Uh, what reassurances can you offer someone who might be listening right at this moment who is probably feeling this way just listening to us talk about it? Yeah, I would say, you know, it, again, it costs nothing to meet with the trustee. It's not going to impact your credit rating. You're not going to be, you know, locked into any legal process just because you show up for a meeting. And everyone that I've ever sat down with, we've ended the meeting better than the person felt when they started. Even if we don't have the solution in that particular situation, they've now got information. They're armed with the most powerful quantity, uh, commodity you can have, which is just the knowledge of what you can potentially do. And it can even be a resource for others. So I encourage people that our role is not to judge you, not to make you feel worse than you might already do if you're in debt. It's to give you hope, give you options on how you can move forward for a life without debt. I think the key thing is to remember you're not alone in this. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. Check out their website, sands-trustee.com, or give them a call, 1-800-661-3030. Set up that first free consultation. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. 
I'm Elaine Scollin. This segment's all about personal bankruptcy. We're going we're gonna to find out how it actually works and then how to go ahead, take those first steps to claim bankruptcy from a licensed insolvency trustee. It's one of those words that's just jam-packed with a whole bunch of emotions, for me at least. It's kind of something that it would be fearful, I'd be afraid of the idea, and you just you know, like, oh my gosh, it just sounds so awful. And I love this segment, Blair, because you're going to explain how it works and how it's something that can actually help somebody in such a significant way. So let's start by talking about um, what it means to declare bankruptcy and how does one become eligible to do that? Yeah, I'm, I'm really thrilled, Elaine, we're, we're uh, covering this topic today because bankruptcy is such an, as you said, an emotionally charged term. And there are so many misconceptions uh, about bankruptcy that really cause people to suffer with debt for longer than they have to, or think that there's no way out or think that, you know, a bankruptcy can't solve my situation because, you know, someone told me this and that about it. So we're going to dispel a bunch of myths today, but just starting at, you know, what is a bankruptcy? Well, bankruptcy is a legal remedy. It's available to anybody who owes more than a thousand dollars and is unable to pay those debts as they become due. So to file bankruptcy, you need to be insolvent, and that means either you've stopped paying your debts, you're just not able to make the payments anymore, or even if you are paying your debts, you're just so far in debt that even if you were to sell your assets, and most of the people who file bankruptcy don't have a whole lot of assets, they might have some furniture, some clothing, and you know, maybe a vehicle, but you know, if you had some real estate, if you were to sell that, it wouldn't be enough to pay off your debts, you'd be insolvent. So what happens when you file personal bankruptcy is you don't need permission from your creditors. You don't need to go in front of a court and ask for forgiveness or, you know, be hauled, you know, across the coals type of thing. You sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee. Um, you work out what the bankruptcy is going to look like for you. We're going to talk about those um, defined steps of how the process goes. And then what's important is at the end of the bankruptcy, the whole point of you going through it is all of your debt gets discharged, which means left behind. You have no legal obligation to pay any debts once you went through a bankruptcy bankruptcy proceeding. So it's a financial fresh start. So sometimes people feel like, oh my God, bankruptcy is associated with death. Um, you know, it's the end of my life. And I say it's the complete opposite. A bankruptcy is a rebirth. It's a chance to, you know, uh, click stop on all of the life that's been dragging you down, all of the debt before that point, and then to click start on a new life where you can start again unburdened by significant debt. Of course, a licensed insolvency trustee is the only person that can facilitate a bankruptcy in British Columbia. That's the first thing I want to make sure that we throw in there. And the second thing is, you're not alone in this process either. That's right, Elaine. So when I first became a trustee, I started to wonder, well, you know, at some point, are we going to run out of, of people to help? Is this a great career? And it's it's just, uh, I won't say, you know, in, insane, but it's the case that, you know, every year there's more and more people that really come forward and find they're just unable to pay their debts as they become due. Um, you know, the bankruptcy rate in Canada has increased year over year for as long as I've been a trustee. And that's since, you know, about 2008 now. Um, and even in the past year, um, you know, summer of 2020 over summer of 20. Uh, there were massive increases in the number of people uh, that were seeking the help of trustees compared to the year before. So you're absolutely not alone. There are a lot of folks who are finding themselves, you know, at the end of the proverbial rope when it comes to debt. Um, but again, what they need to take away is that there is hope. There's a reason why bankruptcy is enshrined in the law. It's to give people a chance to start over and not to be burdened by debt for the rest of your life, uh, where the benefit of that money spent on debt may have been long gone uh, or may have never existed in the first place. In some cases, people were taken advantage of. Um, 
to go into bankruptcy, you know, sometimes people think you've got to have poor credit. You've got to have stopped making all of your payments. You know, the wolf has to be at the door. You're being sued in court. Uh, none of that is correct. It's actually the case that upwards of 70% of people that file a bankruptcy actually never missed a payment on their debt, but they just realize they've just been treading water. They're not making any headway. Um, they're not paying off the debts as, in any sort of a schedule that's, that's going to work for them. So they seek the services of a trustee on a voluntary basis. Excellent. And um, what's the eligibility margin for people? Like what, what kind of debt do you have to have in order to enter insolvency and declare bankruptcy? Well, the only minimum is that you have to owe more than $1,000. And that's a number that hasn't changed since about the Great Depression when these laws were originally written. Uh, most of the time, people <laughs> owe, you know, in the range of twenty dollars to $40,000 when they consider filing a bankruptcy. But I've seen people as low as, you know, a few thousand, you know, even $5,000. If that's insurmountable, if your income is quite low and the stress is really getting to you, you know, that's an option. And there's no upper limit. So in some cases, uh, people have businesses, the business fails, and they're held accountable for some guarantees of debt. So it could be in the millions of dollars if someone files for bankruptcy, uh, the administration would, would run typically the same. It's based on someone's income, not based on the amount of the debt. Okay. And I know a big concern for people is when they're looking at their situation and, and thinking about taking that next step to going into bankruptcy, that credit, their credit history, their credit in general is, mm -hmm. is often a huge concern. How does that work? Yeah, and that's something I'm so happy we're talking about because that's why a lot of people refrain from thinking about a bankruptcy because they think it's a life-altering impact. They will never get credit again. The actual fact is most people are a better credit risk after they've went through a bankruptcy than before because they don't have any debt. And it's not for the rest of their life people are going to know they went into bankruptcy. Once someone finishes a bankruptcy, which can be as soon as nine months in most cases, six years from that date, the bankruptcy falls off the credit report like it never happened. And most of the time, people, if they take the right, the right steps to rebuild their credit, within two to three years of a bankruptcy filing, even though it's still noted on the credit report, if they paid everybody on time, they've managed to save some money, they could even qualify for mortgages, for car loans, for credit cards, all of that way sooner than the six years elapsing. So it's really not the case that it's, you know, a lifelong impact. There's definitely a bankruptcy going to take your credit rating basically to zero, but you can rebuild it quicker than you think. And coming out of a bankruptcy with no debt um, is often much quicker than and having to hunker down if it was going to take you 20 years to pay off these debts. Well, yeah, your credit might be good for those 20 years, but are you in any better shape uh, making all of these payments? And the answer usually is no. The better answer is, is to take some short-term pain, uh, reset the debt clock, um, and then start to build up again. I'd like to mention, too, at this point, that if any of this information is resonating with you and you want to take some action, uh, clearly giving Sands & Associates a call, I'll give you going to give you their 1-800 number. It's 660-3030. That way you can get an appointment, find a location if that's something that you want to do. But of course, during these times, you're doing online online appointments. And, uh, and the other piece of that is, is that a licensed insolvency trustee, they're the ones, the only ones in this country that can facilitate a bankruptcy for you. So it's really important that you go to somebody who's got history, knowledge, experience, and reputable, and Sands and Associates is uh, is the is the best choice there 
Yeah, Elaine. So I, that's another great, great point that you're making there. So obviously, you know, we, we believe we do an excellent job at Sands and Associates, but you don't need to go hire a bankruptcy lawyer. A trustee's not going to ask you for a retainer. It's not going to be a fee for service as we go. Um, so I think maybe it's helpful if we go through some of the steps where someone actually files a bankruptcy. I think our listeners might be a bit surprised at how straightforward it can actually be. You know, not to minimize, this is a serious financial step for folks to take, but it's a step that's taken by almost 100,000 Canadians every year, and people do recover and come out better on the other side. Okay, let's talk about the first steps then, Blair. Where, where do you begin? Well, as I often say, you know, the first step can be the hardest because you've got to reach out for help. So you've got to take a little bit of a leap of faith, put your trust um, in the trustee that you're reaching out to that, you know, they're going to know what they're doing and help you get through. And that's why, you know, we really encourage people to reach out to Sands and Associates because what we offer is a free consultation. So there's no obligation, um, no requirement that you proceed with anything. It's confidential and it's at no charge. So we sit down, we talk to you confidentially one-on-one to understand your entire financial situation and then to evaluate what's the suite of options that are available to you. So quite often people come in thinking that bankruptcy is the only option and we're able to look at them and say, well, no, if we were to fix the budget here or there, uh, if we were to consider a consumer proposal, maybe we can avoid this bankruptcy. But if it is the case that, you know, a bankruptcy is the right option, well, then we're going to take the time to explain to you exactly what's entailed in that, help you get all the documents together for filing and help you proceed with that filing. So the first step is the initial meeting and guaranteed at that meeting, you're going to learn something new at least, and you're probably going to leave there uh, with a very clear plan on what you can do to get out of debt. Now, you mentioned documents, and uh, I'm assuming that there's a number that need to be signed and for you to facilitate at that point. Yeah, so there's an application form that individuals fill out, and it's nothing I think that people wouldn't anticipate you'd have to disclose. So it's things like, well, what's your monthly budget? Um, you know, what money comes into the house and where does it go? Uh, what are your assets? What do you own? Uh, and who do you owe money to? So just a list of your creditors, approximately how much is owed. We assemble all of that information together, and then we prepare formal bankruptcy documents. Um, you sit down, you sign those documents with the trustee, and that starts the first day of the bankruptcy. So at that point, you've disclosed to your creditors, I filed for bankruptcy, here are my assets, here are my liabilities, and here's my budget. And then you don't deal anymore with your creditors. The trustee steps in the middle, and you've got a ceasefire, essentially. Nobody can call you, harass you, take you to court, or do anything against you to try to recover the debt. Um, all they can do is deal with the trustee over the period of the bankruptcy. Now, I like the fact that you've included this piece in this segment about there are some duties, though, that you need to Mm -hmm. fulfill as part of the bankruptcy filing in this country. Yeah, so it's not the case that you file for bankruptcy, you sign some documents, the next day you've got no debt, and gee, doesn't that sound great? Let's go do it again. No. Um, the case is bankruptcy is meant to be a kind of a financial rehabilitation. So when you're going through a bankruptcy, you are required to complete some duties. Uh, they basically come down to three big things. Uh, number one is you have to complete a monthly budget. So for every month you're in bankruptcy, you have to keep track of what was your income and what were the expenses, and then you provide a copy of that to the trustee. Um, so not, nothing too crazy there, and it's something that's generally a good financial habit is to do a monthly budget. Uh, the second thing is you have to attend two financial counseling sessions. So they're private one-on-one sessions um, done over the telephone, typically during the pandemic or over Zoom, but oftentimes done in person when we're able to reopen. Uh, they're great sessions talking about credit rebuilding, about getting that budget right, and trying to make sure the bankruptcy is a one-time thing in your life. Uh, the third thing is you just have to make some payments. So when you go into bankruptcy, you stop paying on your debts, uh, and the amount you have to pay back is determined by whether the government says that you're low income or not low income. 
So for 80% of people that file for bankruptcy, the government puts out uh, low-income guidelines, and they fall below them. So for a single person, if you're earning less than roughly $2,250 per month uh, after-tax take-home pay, if you file for bankruptcy, you're just required to pay the cost of the bankruptcy each month, which is $200 a month for nine months. So it could be 10000 a 100000 or even a million dollars of debt. Uh, if you're low income and you file for bankruptcy, you're going to pay $200 a month for nine months for a total of $1,800. And you get your financial fresh start at the end of those nine months. Excellent. Um, can we talk as we wrap up? We've just got less than a minute left about the indicators that your debt's getting out of control because they do look different for everyone. Everyone's a little different there. Yeah, a couple of the really key ones, um, you know, one is if you're getting a lot of collection calls or messages or texts, you know, things that really people trying to track you down for payment, that's a big one. You know, the most dominant one that we see these days is just being tracked and making only minimum payments, looking at your credit card statements and seeing you're not going to pay things off, you know, really in this lifetime sometimes. So if you're only making minimum payments, that's a big warning sign that, you know, your debt's getting out of control. Excellent. Really important one to keep in mind. Uh, check out their website, sands-trustee.com. It's filled with great information, questions and answers. Give them a call, 1-800-661-3030, and set up that appointment for a consultation. Uh, you're listening to Dollars and Cents. You're listening to Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. On the line with us, Steve Saretsky, a super knowledgeable guy about real estate. He's a Vancouver realtor, author behind one of Vancouver's most popular real estate blogs, uh, considered a thought leader in this industry, of course, appears in all kinds of places. And I think this is worth noting. Uh, Steve's got a huge dedication to analyzing statistics, a really good seer of the financial landscape and and policies that affect the, the Vancouver real estate. And, and Blair mentioned just before we got started that it's been about six months or so since we've talked to you Steve and uh, the uh, the impression is that things things are a little different for sure and maybe not uh, as people expected them to be in the real estate market yeah so Steve th- thanks for joining us um, as, as Elaine mentioned you know six months ago I think we thought you know foreclosures are going to start to the trigger, you know, the pandemic is going to have a negative impact on the real estate market. Um, but every headline that I'm seeing, it seems like, you know, the market, to, to put it one way, it seems to just defy gravity, uh, you know, it just seems to, to go in the upwards direction. So I'm curious, what are you seeing, um, you know, or what have you seen over the last six months or so um, since we were last on the show? What are you seeing in the real estate market in the lower mainland? Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think it's kind of defied everybody's expectations. And, you know, I think it's important to point out that this isn't um, particularly a Vancouver phenomenon. It's really just actually a global phenomenon. If you look at, you know, global property markets, whether that's in Vancouver, Toronto, or, you know, parts of the U.S. and Europe, uh, what they all seem to be experiencing is a, is a ramp up in housing activity. So despite, again, what has become a global recession, is there's this activity in housing. And I think that really boils down to, I think the hard part was to really predict is that, you know, how humans would react uh, during a pandemic and the behavioral aspect. What we've seen is basically people wanting to enhance their living situation, obviously spending a lot more time at home, you know, with stay at home orders, work from home orders, that sort of thing is everybody seems to want more space. 
And so what we're seeing is people are basically upsizing, um, you know, moving further away from the city where they can get a little bit more affordability and a bigger home. And that seems to be the real trend supporting the housing market right now. Yeah. What, what would you have expected to see, you know, in, in typical in a, in a recession, um, you know, would you have expected the, the real estate to hold steady or, or to increase as it has? Or is this, you know, pretty, uh, pretty unexpected, kind of the opposite of what we would have anticipated? Yeah, I think it's definitely unexpected. And I think that any rational observer would certainly is, is kind of left scratching their heads. But I think if we look at, again, that number one being the behavioral thing, uh, number two being all the support from policymakers. So through the fiscal government, uh, the, from the government on the fiscal side, you know, through mortgage deferrals, through, you know, CERB checks, and then number three, through the central bank, the Bank of Canada, obviously coming in and providing a lot of liquidity support for the housing market, uh, you know, engaging in quantitative easing, which is, you know, certainly inflationary for asset prices. So, uh, you know, those three have, have really sort of kept, put, you know, basically put a floor onto the housing market. Yeah, how how much do you think? You know, obviously, I've, I've been uh, keep track of interest rates. Being a licensed insolvency trustee, you know, the rates haven't changed for debts. You know, credit cards are still twenty to thirty percent or so. Um, but as I see people coming in with mortgages, I'm actually kind of amazed. I'm like, wow, the the rates on these mortgages are are you know quite aggressive, quite lower than I've seen in a number of years. So, do you think that's a, a driver as well, or how much of an impact do you think that this uh, you know, low mortgage interest rates is having on the market? Yeah, I think the, the low rates are certainly enticing more people to, to step into the market. Um, you know, I think, I mean, right now you're borrowing a five-year fixed mortgage at probably about 1.8%, give or take. So 1.8, it's the lowest, gosh, yeah. yeah, it's the lowest we've seen on record, obviously. So that's, that's again, another sort of support for the housing market. Um, money is basically free on, in, in essence. Um so I think people are looking at that. And, and again, so, so when you kind of combine all these things, it starts to make a little bit more sense. But obviously, again, when you look at the underlying economic fundamentals and all the job loss and obviously the mortgage deferral situation, you're kind of left scratching your head wondering, well, you know, at some point is, is, is it going to succumb to economic gravity or, or do we have enough sort of measures in place here where it's going to buoy the housing market uh, until you can kind of get through on the other side. Yeah, and on those mortgage deferrals, Steve. So I don't know if, if you have any insight into in terms of statistics. You know, um, you know, a lot of people. I thought it was six months of mortgage deferrals from about March to September, uh, and at that time, um, you know, I didn't know how many folks would be able to to start making payments as well at that time. Uh, do you have any insight into what's happened since the deferral period has has elapsed? Yeah, so those deferrals are just now starting to roll off. Um, so the, the mortgage deferrals per the Canadian Bankers Association, they, they, they peaked out at 16%. So at what, that, what that means is at one point or another, 16% of all outstanding mortgages were at one point or another def- in some sort of payment deferral. That could have been deferred for a month or two months. It could have been six mm-hmm. months. But at one point, 16% of all mortgages were deferred. Um, as of the end of September, which is the latest you know data that we have, uh, Six percent of mortgages are, are now are still in deferral or outstanding. So obviously, a lot of people are getting back on to paying off their mortgages again. I think there's a lot of people that took the deferrals that didn't necessarily need them. Uh, it was more of a precautionary thing. But six percent is is still a high number. Um, again, if you know some of these ultimately translate into you know going delinquent and into foreclosures, obviously that's going to add on. To, you know, quite a bit more supply to the market. So it's still a number that 
is a little bit concerning. It's still a number worth watching, but um, yeah, I mean, we probably won't have a really good idea until probably the end of the year in terms of seeing all these deferrals not expiring by the end of the year and then seeing, okay, well, who actually is resuming payments? And do you see any differences in segments of the market, you know, single family homes versus uh, condos, for example? Um, you know, just reading the headlines, it sounds like the condos are starting to soften a bit, but single family homes seem to be quite strong. Uh, are you seeing that, you know, in, in the local markets that you're active in? Yeah, there's there's definitely quite a uh, divergence right now. So the, the the hot segment is everybody, you know, kind of is, is becoming aware is the single family detached housing market pretty much anywhere you go, whether that's in the city of Vancouver, if you're going out to Langley or Abbotsford or anywhere in between those, that segment of the market is, is for the most part, I would say red hot. You're seeing multiple offers. You're seeing higher prices. Um, that's where all, most of the activity is. Now the condo market is, is probably been the most impacted, particularly like downtown Vancouver, there's no point in paying, you know, I think people are looking at and saying, well, why am I paying such a huge premium to live downtown when I don't really have to be at the office? Um, and so that that's kind of the market that's, hit, that's been hit the hardest uh, during COVID. I mean, you probably have prices off 10% uh, in the span of six or seven months. But then if you look at condos, you know, maybe further out the suburbs like Surrey or Langley or whatever, it, it's, a bit, it's a bit more of a balanced market. I mean, they're, they're, they're not, you know, they're not, they're not going, prices aren't going down, they're not going up. It's kind of, kind of a mixed bag, uh, but sort of the, it's the inner city condo, uh, which seems to have taken the brunt of it so far. And I know making predictions is a, is a tough game at, at, at the best of times, and, and obviously things haven't went the way I would have predicted in a pandemic, and maybe you as well. Do you have any insight over the next six to 12 months, you know, what, how you see things unfolding? Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I think that my personal opinion is that obviously there's still going to be a lot of economic pain. It's going to take some time to kind of get through this, but I think that for the most part, I think we're starting the recovery process and things are slowly going to get better. So, you know, do we bring in enough fiscal and monetary support to kind of get us through this where, you know, the housing market will miraculously be able to support itself. I think that's certainly, a, it seems to be a growing possibility. Um, I still, I still think these mortgage deferrals translating into foreclosures because of the process in BC around court ordered sales, it's probably more of a summer 2021 thing. Um, so in terms of, you know, distressed sales coming on the market, that's probably sometime next summer, early in next, next fall. So, you know, again, where, where's the economy by next summer, that sort of thing, like that's going to be, you know, that might be enough to sort of help balance out some of these foreclosures that will be coming to market. And wrapping up the segment, Steve, um, I just want to throw in your website. It's stevesoretsky.com, and I assume that that's the blog as well, if folks want to read more from you. Yeah, so just go to, uh, put a weekly blog slash newsletter out uh, on that site there so they can they want to keep up to date on sort of the Canadian housing market and, and uh, sort of macroeconomic space. That's, that's where I follow primarily. Excellent. Thank you very much. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.